Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Your expectations are insane. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Suck it up and live as everybody's doormat. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. You'll never make anything of yourself. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. What kind of monster? Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking about nagging, a word that I truly dislike and a concept I disagree with. (laughs) Before we even talk about that, I'm going to nag you to do the mailbag. That way, Amy. Mailbag. Mailbag. I love this week's mailbag. Diana's saying it, not us guys. She says, I have to put a plug in for the paid subscription. The bonus episodes so far are Margaret and Amy talking about random hilarious things. True. And they bring me inexplicable amounts of joy. This subscription was a treat to myself and has proved to be money well spent. Also love having the regular episodes be ad free. There are two kinds of people who talk a lot, says Diana. The ones you wish would stop talking and the ones you could listen to all day. You are the latter, my dears. Thank you, Diana. <laughs> I am only the latter to Diane. There are definitely people who are like, I wish you would stop talking. You live with them. Believe me, there are people who wish I would stop talking. And you know what? That's an interesting segue to today's episode, isn't it? The topic of today. Nagging. Definitely there's people who wish I would stop nagging. Uh, we had a listener write in to say, can you please do an episode on this? I have like the etymology of nagging. I was going to say, I want to know where this word, does it come from the horse? Like a nag? Like the old nag? Yes. Well, let's go back to that. Yes. So there's a writer named Jessica Jong who did this etymology work of the word nagging. I'll put the link in the show notes because this was very helpful. The Oxford English Dictionary, it was the 1300s, the earliest use of the word nag. And it was a small horse, a little pony. He's a nag. Oh, you mean this was just like his bobtail, then then, then the bobtail nag. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it came time race to sing this song. There's a nag in there. (laughs) The bobtail nag. And I believe in one of the Christmas uh, merry jingles, there's a, the old nag is, is... Pulling the cart at some point. Yes. And the courier knives thing that figures prominently in those. Okay, so that was 1300s. It was a horse. 1800s. Oh, I thought it was going to be because it's like, it seems like 1300s, you're getting into like, what an old fishwife. No. Like, what a nag. No, we're just still calling it a horse. Yes. No, back then it was a fishwife. <laughs> like a woman running around slapping people <laughs> a with a fish. Wife. Yeah. 
Yes, a charwoman. Right. So in the 1880s, it was worrying thought. That was when nag sort of made the leap to a mental instead of a physical thing. But it was, you know, your thoughts are nagging you while you're trying to sleep. Okay, that's that's 1800s. Still in vogue. Yes, still being used. I'm nagging thoughts. 1885 was the first use of the word nag. This is from the Oxford English Dictionary. 1885, first use of nag as a person who habitually finds fault with somebody else. But Got it. guess what? It was, at that time, used more for men. Hmm, very interesting. Who found fault with everybody. Kind of a mansplainer, I think we would say now. Somebody who's... Is that mansplaining? No. Just, but you do know that person, male or female, who the, nothing's good. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a nat- well, my, well, my mom would use the term a nattering nabob of negativism for such a person. Yeah, that was her nag, yeah. Yes, right. And that doesn't have a gender attached to this. But I would argue that... Very much these days, the word nag is an extremely gendered, sexist word, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you said draw the word nag, like in Pictionary, you would draw a woman with apron and like a rolling pin, like screaming. Yes. That's what you would draw. Yes. And you know, it's funny because I don't really act much anymore. But when I do get an audition, it is literally like I've had three of these auditions in the last year to play the woman standing at the open screen door yelling down the street like you'll never make anything of yourself jeremy <laughs> pie man just you get back here like literally playing that I'm like i think i'll give up thank you yeah i think i'll have a podcast instead thank you very much right playing the part of somebody's mom holding back the protagonist from living his best life yeah reaching their potential yeah oh hideous yeah I have talked and written about nagging in the past, and it seems to me, I think when I was writing about it, I was saying it is a trap, but it feels so much like as a wife and person running the household and a mom, that often the choices are presented as suck it up and live as everybody's doormat. Or be a nag, you know, like Mm -hmm. be a doormat or be a nag. But there really is no place for like highly respected female of the household. (laughs) Like, where is that? You know, right. And it's the default parent, right? Which could be a man could be in a same sex relationship or even in a heterosexual relationship. It could be the man who is doing the default parent who's doing all the invisible work and then saying, can you please not leave your socks in the middle of the floor. Can you please fill out that form that I've left on your desk for a week now? Can you do this? Can you do this? And if you ask more than once, you're nagging, right? You're annoying me by asking me more than once to do something. Right, but why? What's the nickname for the person who's left his socks and been asked four times and hasn't picked them up? There isn't one. Exactly. Like you're annoying if you ask for help and so you can do it yourself. You know, I'm working on a book about this right now because I think the choices for women in this situation, right, are to do it yourself, to get more of a sense of humor about how you have to do it yourself, right? To meditate around letting go of the fact that you have to do it yourself, to get better at getting more done, or to keep asking for help in a sort of like Eve Rodsky way, to keep asking for help and showing up and making the work visible and saying like, hey, I'm not going to put up with this anymore, but you're going to have to push through a lot of being thought of and called a nag probably on the way there. Yeah. And I do think there's something about Blending a household with the person who you are dating, married to, with for life, that I say this all the time, like the skill 
set that you look for is like handsome good dancer who's fun at parties. And then the next thing you know, it's like, hey, handsome good dancer, could you pick up your socks? Like suddenly you're doing this other task that has very little to do with why you were attracted to each other in the first place. And it is amazing to me. I'm just cleaning up the house this morning before we got on. And my husband and I are both default slobs. Like when left to our own devices, it goes horribly wrong. But I don't like to live in a messy house, but I am naturally messy. And I feel my husband is a person who just finds the water level of whosoever he's with, you know? So I feel like he could be cleaner, but I bring out the worst in him. Maybe I'm too hard on myself there. But anyway, our room is ridiculous. Like if you came in, you'd be like, there's been a robbery or a bomb has gone off. I mean, it's so bad. Like you can't walk on the floor. There's stuff everywhere. We also, our bedroom is one of the smallest rooms in the house because of boring reasons of where we wanted people to be in the house. So we have too much stuff for our small space. Like I know all the reasons why it gets so crazy, but that being said, it's always just clothes and debris everywhere. And the two of us, both feel fine with it. Like we can walk in and go to bed. Like I know if you walked into this room, you couldn't sleep (laughs) until this stuff was put back away. But I think that you don't really know the set point of your partner often when you start living together. And like, you got to figure these things out. Like I would have trouble living with someone who wanted perfect order all the time. Yes. But I didn't really know about whether my husband was like that. But if he was, he would be nagging me all the time to clean stuff up. But I think sometimes the nag, like sort of the stereotype can be like, this person needs perfect order all the time. It's like, no, I just need like literally anybody but me ever to get all the stuff off the dining room table that doesn't belong on the dining room table so we can sit down and eat. Right. Like that it's there's like your expectations are insane. And there's like, can we please clear off this table to that? I think those get conflated that you're being unreasonable, even if you're asking for something that's reasonable. I agree. But I do also think there are having spent time with like family groups and like other people like on vacation and stuff. There are definitely family members who are like, let's shove everything on the table to one side and eat on this side of it. Mm -hmm. And there are definitely people in the family who are like, That's monstrous. Like, we will clean the table before we sit down. Like, I will not sit down at a table with, like, goggles and a flipper on it, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is not an unreasonable expectation, but it might be a different expectation than other people. And I realize that I'm at kind of one end of the spectrum. Then I'm like, ah, shove the goggles down. Put the... Is there a shoe on the table? Yes, there is. Like, why would that bother you? And that there are people who are like, eating with a shoe on the table is... (laughs) disgusting. (laughs) I'm not hungry anymore. I think that part of it is it's not so much like you're so uptight. I'm so fun. It's just that our general expectation levels about how we live. So there was a recent paper. I'll put the link in the show notes to it that Anne Helen Peterson put in her newsletter. And I should put a link to that, too, because she does a great newsletter about sort of, you know, gendered stuff and household stuff and life. And anyway, I love it. So she put this paper just as I was working on this episode that talked about does is there one parent that just sort of sees what needs to be done more than the other parent? You know, like you just see the mess more than I do. So this paper argued that Yes, they did. They uh, surveyed people and they found that in the, the couples that they surveyed, the default parent, who they are defining as women in this study, consistently perceived more possible actions, which they call affordances because they're social scientists, but possible actions. When I look around related to household tasks, I see possible action, possible action, possible action. There's a flipper, there's a shoe, right? And those possible actions that I read and see spur me towards action. 
somebody else might not look around and see the flipper on the table as a quote unquote possible action. And then I'm like, why do you make me do everything? But it's because the default parent sees the possible actions and everybody else, thanks to their hard work, doesn't. It's frustrating, but we... Yeah. I mean, the example of this that is vexing me right now is that we got a couch, very, very nice couch from like my grandfather used to run an inn, like an old, nice couch. And right away, I covered it with one of those like ugly kind of stretch, you know, it's lined on the inside, like it's covered in like the new vinyl, basically. But there were two nice pillows from the house that I grew up in that are like um, needlepoint pillows, you know, and it's the couch for boring reasons has ended up in our playroom kind of area. There's not a playroom anymore because my kids are too old. And the cushion, the two nice needlework pillows are constantly on the floor. Like for whatever reason, the only way to sit on the couch is to immediately throw both pillows on the floor. At which point I just sit and watch my kids walk over the pillows with their feet. Like they stomp, they trod across them. And every time I see it, I'm like, what kind of monster pick up? Did you just walk over that pillow? We've talked about this four billion times and I end up like crazy rolling pin fishwife shrew and they're just like, come down. But it's like we see this thing in such different ways. They're like, well, why would I pick it up? I would just walk right over it. Like, it's needlepoint, you monster. What's wrong with and, you? And it's so hard to understand. Like, if you don't want me to yell at you, then just like we have talked about this before, then don't walk on it or put it back on the couch. Or Like the fix from where you stand for like not being nagged is super simple. Just won't walk on the pillows, right? Yeah, it is. But I have to always see it from the other side, because if you walked into my bedroom right now, you'd be like, what kind of monster lives like this? You know what I mean? And like, I used to have roommates in college. There were five of us. We had a suite in the college that I went to. There were five of us. And, you know, we would have roommates at random times. And we were kind of gross and it was pretty messy. But then somebody at a random time would be like, we're cleaning this house. And sometimes I was like, no, we're not. Like, I'm doing something else, you know? And it is, I'm not defending the naggy, but I do get why sometimes there is a disconnect between, like, I throw my socks on the floor all the time. And if there was someone in my household constantly walking in and being like, you're a slob, this is disgusting. I would be displeased with that development. I had the same thing in college. And to nobody's surprise, I was on the other side of the equation. Our room had fruit flies in it because people were bringing food home and just sort of like, you know, leaving old bowls from the dining hall around and stuff. Gross. And so I was the like, not one more day shall this continue. We like to the cleaning. And everybody was like, shut up, loser. And then I had to clean up and I was really annoyed because we have bugs in our room. But yes, it was not viewed as a possible action by anybody except me. Except for you. I just think that's the crux of the problem. And it's not that like you're wrong because you're not wrong. Fruit flies flying around are disgusting. But as the fruit fly person in that story, who'd be like, they're not that bad. <laughs> right. Let's just take a nap and then we'll think about it later. Like they don't bite. I mean, <laughs> I definitely was on that side of the equation and our house is still that way. But now I'm kind of both. I'm the like, Every once in a while, I'm like, this shall not stand one more second. We're cleaning up. And I'm definitely like, stop walking on the pillows. But then I see my coat on the floor right next to the pillows. And I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I think that there are three kinds of nagging. Can we take a break and I'll tell you what they are when we come back? Let's do it. 
Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. So I was doing some research for this episode and trying to find like, what would people say about this? Like, how do we reclaim this word? And there was surprisingly little on this topic. There were some older articles, at least 10 years old, about like, stop nagging. Like, nobody likes it when you nag. Stop doing it. Here's how, which really annoyed me. That's like the cosmopolitan 80s version of like, keep your man happy. Fix yourself. Right, right. So, and I looked, I'm like, why is this happening? And I thought that they were conflating, like nobody likes a nag. And then they would define nag as like, you've never once done anything nice for me, like following them around with a rolling pin. And like, that's not what I'm doing when I'm being called a nag. So there are three kinds of nagging, I think, that get like lumped into one unfairly. Hit me. So the first one is to keep the trains running, like put your shoes on the buses outside the buses sitting at the end of the driveway. Where's your I told you to get your raincoat like that sort of nagging that's just like here is what you need right i'm handing you what you need and and in your late and go 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 <laughs> go 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 then there's the i'm annoyed i'm acting again nagging like you're annoyed i'm acting again and so am i like what yes the ice maker's still broken and i've asked you about this a couple times when exactly you're getting to it yes nagging anyway i think part of the problem is that we sort of like mix these up that if your mom says take an umbrella it's raining that she's a horrible shrew and that's the same thing as when she's saying, you never think of me. Nobody around here ever thinks of me and does anything. I have to do everything around here. That that's also nagging. I get that you shouldn't do one, 
but I don't think that all of that should be lumped in. Like when mom talks, it's nagging. Well, yeah, because that's right. That's what it becomes. Because I do think so much of the crux of this is the thing that you said about like what you see that everyone else has the gift of blinders, right? <laughs> you were talking at some point about like being at a party, I think with your husband and right, like everybody was sitting and relaxing except for like the women and you were like running around after kids because there was like a staircase that they were going to fall down, right? Oh yeah, it was like a Super Bowl party, right? Right, and it's like, okay, on the one hand, like I get to be the like, relax, Amy, we're at a party, but at the same time, like, I don't want my kid to fall down the stairs. And so mm -hmm. I think this seems to be where this lives in this crux of like, you're seeing everything and you're the only one seeing it. And therefore, you're kind of pointing it out. And it's probably mostly helpful, right? To say like, okay, the bus is coming, <laughs> but... It's just kind of your job to say, I mean, I have this joke all the time now with my teens where they're like, why do we have to? And I'm like, because I was born to torture children, you know, because I was born to make kids lives difficult. It's not their favorite joke in the world, but it is kind of a default role in some ways to be the person who like, why are you I get why are you making me go to school? It's like, well, I guess they come and arrest me if you don't go at a certain point. Like, I, I guess I'm making you because I'm the bad guy born into the role, you know? You're the ringmaster of obligations, right? Like the no fun police has come to say it's time to set the table. God, when will she ever leave me alone, right? And, and then like, you didn't hear me the first four times. So I'm going to mm -hmm. go back. Let's go back to our instigating email that made us talk about this on our episode, Amy, because I think it kind of it gives us a, another lens to look at this through. Right. So a listener wrote in to say that my husband works very long hours during the week, leaves early and is home long after the kids are in bed. He's sometimes home for a full weekend. But when he is, I find myself wishing he wasn't. It's like I have a third child. He is not anticipatory in any way like keeping an eye on the clock, thinking of what we should have for dinner, noticing that the laundry baskets are full, etc. He wants weekends to be chill and relaxing. But we have two very active kids, one with ADHD, and they both really need outside time. I feel like I'm always dragging him along in the routine that we have during the week. Only on the weekend, on top of this, he's home. My husband leaves his own messes all over the house. If, she says, I ask my husband to help or remind him, he tells me I'm nagging. If I don't ask for help, he doesn't do it. And then I'm driving the bus and doing everything and keeping all the moving parts going while he drags along behind. So she's like, what should I do about this? And I thought, well, this is a tough one, but it's an episode. Yeah, I mean, it's complicated because I think there is a piece of this that is watch your story. And there is a little bit of black and white thinking in it. All right. But there is also a problem at the center of it. And so I think that what ends up happening is that the story becomes nobody at the party but me understands the danger of the stairs. Therefore... I have to have a bad time and my husband gets to relax. Right. That story is not untrue, but it can help, I think, to call out the situation as you see it and then be open to listening to this situation as somebody else sees it. You know, like, hey, I'd love to sit down and relax, but I'm worried that there's a staircase here and I don't think it's safe for the kids. And so... 
Are we taking turns with the kids? Are we half hour on, half hour off? And I think the idea of like, my husband only wants to lay around all weekend and I only need, and for really good valid reasons, have all this activity that absolutely has to happen, that there's probably some kind of middle ground to find there. And I also think I'm, I like a chill weekend. I love to have no activities on the weekend. And I know my kids do too many screens on the weekend right now. And I'm trying to work on that. But also like some weekends we're really busy, but when we have down weekends, I'm kind of fine with like, let's all lay around and do nothing. And then the kids do too many screens. But there are times where my husband and I will have a conversation where I'm like, you know what? We've had three weeks in a row where the kids are literally doing eight hours of school. We're just lying around. We're doing nothing. Nobody's reading. I think we need to start planning one activity every weekend, you know, find in this black and white, where is the gray of like, hey, I know you like a lot of downtime on the weekends. Like, can we do one family activity that really runs and gets everybody outside? And then for the afternoon, like, go watch a football game, whatever it happens to be, you know? Because I found in the beginning of my marriage that we had a lot of like, you're not watching a six-hour golf tournament on a Sunday when I have three little kids and you've been at work all week. But you've been at work all week. I've been at work all week, right? We've both been at work all week. Right. Right. Like, And even if I haven't, I've been home with three kids all week and I'm ready for a break. And I think for my husband, it became a little bit like, I work all week and then I come home and like she's standing on the porch with a baby to hand me and being like, here are the 96 things we want to do. And that it took us a little while to be able to have conversations of like, how about zoo in the morning and then we come home and while the kids are napping, you watch golf and drink beer and do nothing else. Well, yeah. And then maybe we can pull some of the like fraughtness out of the situation. It sounds like that there might be a situation where you don't have to do everything as a full family unit, right? Like you have from 12 to four on Sundays to do whatever you want. And even if I'm like stepping over you to pick up all the glasses on the coffee table to bring them back to the kitchen, it's your time to do whatever you want. But you also get that. Right. The default parent also gets that. And you need to leave the house for that. I've discovered over time, like I'll sometimes go to the library on the weekends. I've gone to my husband's office on the weekends to get out of the house and do whatever I feel like doing and and work on my book, whatever, and not look at everything in the house that needs to be done. And then when I come back, I will be just last weekend. I had to take one of my kids somewhere and I was gone like eight to eight. One of my other kids and my husband was home for the day. This kid has a lot of stuff to be doing. Teenager, like a lot of like, you know, application for summer job, this, this, you know, this is overdue. Don't forget this outfit for the dance in two weeks. And so I like I left a list like this teenager can sleep until 11, but then really needs to address most of the stuff on this list. And I came home and like, you know, one of the things on the list had been done. The kid was asleep. My husband was asleep. The house was a mess, you know, and I'm like, come on. Like, had I been home on this weekend day, the list would have been done. It, so I was gone from eight to eight helping a, one of my kids do something. And then I come home and it's like, well, what's for dinner exactly? Like we've made inroads towards that, but it still happens because I think this study of like, they didn't see the possible, even when I left a list, it was like, the list was like, here are some things you could do today if you felt like it. And I came home and like, now I can take the other side of that. Of course I can. Like, do I really need a list of eight things on a Sunday? I felt like doing one too bad. Okay. But then when I ask on Wednesday, so tonight I, you do need to do this thing because you didn't do it Wednesday. I don't want to be told that I'm nagging you. It's tough. It is. It's really, really tough. And it does. I think 
we've talked so much about like handing over responsibility and scaffolding. And I do think that part of it lives in that space too of the consequence of your dirty socks on the floor is that I am uncomfortable. Therefore, like we're doing this together. I'm going to tell you really specifically, like, this is my need. I want this done. How can we strategize about getting it done? And it may not be successful. And I, I think of people we've talked to and it's like, you have to have a partner who's willing to say like, your needs are actually important to me and I want to help you meet your needs. So I'm coming from a point of assuming that you have somebody on your side of the fence. I think a lot of it is getting on the same side of the problem, you know? Yes. I was just about to say that like Dr. Lynetta Willis, the net, right? Getting on this Lynetta Willis, please. I mean, listen to that episode <laughs> once a week. It is so good talking about figuring out like, how is this, whether it's your kid, your husband or whoever, your room cannot be this messy. Your room cannot have fruit flies in it. That is not an acceptable room in a house that I pay a mortgage on. How can we figure out, is it that I need to help you half an hour a night to clean the room rather than I'm setting up this expectation and if you don't do it, you're in trouble with me. It's like, how can the two of us the fruit flies, right, right. turn our focus against this problem? And let me say, it still takes more work on the default parent side to do it that way. You really should be able to expect to say, I need these five things done and leave and come back and they're done. But if it's not happening, then you need to figure out part two of the solution. And like, it would be great if everybody, you know, did what they were told by us because we know the right way to do the things. But sure, I'm saying that jokingly, but like, it would be nice if we could just say like, tag your it. And I, I will say like, I have had that conversation with my husband and I really think it has improved significantly. And I use that language all the time. And now I've started using it in other parts of my life. I always say to my husband, here's this thing, the birthday party next weekend or where this kid is going to summer camp or when how this travel that we need to do for Easter is going to happen. And I'll say, this is a tag you're it. I don't want to hear anything else about it. I want to get on a plane the week before Easter. Tag you're it. Not like come back to me with 10 questions. Nothing like I and I mean, you and I work together this way all the time. Can you handle this thing that needs to be done? I got it. Like. It's a handoff. It's not a thing. Outcomes, not tasks. It's outcomes, not tasks. Yeah. Like, wake me when it's over. That's right. I'm not asking you. And I will sometimes say to my husband, because he is kind of a nutty professor and like, uh, you know, absent-minded professor, I will say, will you please set an alarm on your phone? And I have a language that I use with my kids that I try not to use with my husband because it's not really appropriate. But like, I say all the time to my kids, will you get that stuff out of the living room. That's my third ask. I say it to them all the time. Just say like, I'm asking for the third time. I'm not going to start yelling, but like third ask, fourth ask. And I think that helps them hear a little bit. Like the reason you're hearing me sound more frustrated is like, hey, can you get the stuff out of your bedroom? That's food. Yeah. Second time I say it, I'm going to say second ask. But sometimes with my husband, I will say yeah, like, I like that. hey, this was a tag you're it and it's still not done. Like, is it done? Like trying to put language <laughs> around it that says like, remember how this was supposed to be your thing? And I find that does help us cut down on the fighting around it. I like that. Okay, we'll be right back. 
Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. And now, things kids can hear versus things kids can't hear. From the What Fresh Out podcast. Things kids can hear. You opening a bag of cookies while hiding in the back of the pantry. What was that sound? I thought you said snacking before dinner wasn't allowed. Things kids can't hear. You screaming at full volume from six feet away to tell them to come in for dinner. Things kids can hear. Literally any attempt at romance. What are you guys doing in there? Why is the door locked? Things kids can't hear. You asking them for the 14th time to come down and clean up the mess they made in the living room. Things kids can hear. You whisper fighting with your spouse over his refusal to pick up his dirty socks while locked away in the bathroom. Is something wrong between you and daddy? Things kids can't hear. The alarm clock that is blaring at 6.30 a.m., literally one inch away from their head. This has been Things Kids Can Hear versus Things Kids Can't Hear. From the What Fresh Out podcast. So another thing that jumped out at me when I was getting ready for this episode was an episode of If Books Could Kill, which is a podcast that you and I both really like listening to, where they sort of explore a book from the recent past, sort of a pop psychology book that might have taken us down a garden path. And they talked about the book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Did you listen to this episode? Oh, yes. From the early 90s, back in my day, I'm an old deluxe. I mean, I remember this book. I read it. Like, I read it in its original iteration. Seemed brilliant, you know, explaining that, like, men are just different than women. If you're going to tell a man a story, you have to tell him the ending right at the beginning because then he can stay with you, but he doesn't want to hear you talk. It just was extremely gendered, extremely, like, our brains are different, which has largely been disproven. 
But the part that jumped out at me was something they were really taking a task in this episode was that John Gray, this sort of pop psychologist, was saying that the problem with nagging, he addressed this age old problem of like, he says, I'm nagging. I just want the help. The problem was in how you ask ladies, right? That he said that you should avoid asking for help in a way that carries implicit criticism. And he said that if you started a question with, can you take out the garbage? That's wrong. Because then your spouse can be like, I don't know, can I like and then won't want to or it's implicitly saying, I don't know if you're strong enough to take out the garbage. But if you say, will you take out the garbage that all of this resistance will magically disappear? Well, I mean, I think this is like incredible nonsense, but I do think this has been sort of the reaction in the past. Like if you don't like people telling you that you're nagging, then stop nagging all the time. Right. right? Or ask more nicely. And I think the problem is that you're asking. Right. The problem is that. You're the one who's noticing the possible actions and handing them out and then handing them out again. That's really like, take it back. Why are you asking? Why aren't they taking out the garbage, right? Why do you have to ask in the first place? Not, can you ask more nicely? And that's a longer road, but I think that's possible to get there. Yeah, I think it's possible to get there. I think also, I mean, I think this idea of, I think, can you, will you makes no difference at all. It doesn't make any difference. But I do think the like, I'm seeing something that other people are not seeing. I'm getting more and more annoyed by the thing. By the time I'm into saying it, I am shot out of a cannon angry and everyone else is like, we're just watching the game. Like what? They're baffled. They're baffled. And I think that, yes, it doesn't come down to like specific language. But I do think there is a general disconnect that needs to be addressed. And one of the things we talk about all the time on the podcast, which I think matters here, is like calmer time. One of the things we do on Sunday, ever since the pandemic, we do home church, like we watch church on TV. And at the end of home church, we have a little family meeting. And like my kids hilariously hate it. It's like five minutes of like talking about the week and what they're like, no, family meeting. It's just like, really? It's that bad? But anyway, they hate it. But I do find it can be a helpful time to be like, you guys were really helpful this week. You remember to take the garbage out without being asked. You did this. You did this. It's kind of roses and thorns. And then I had a week recently where I was super, super sick and my husband was out of town and my kids were not that helpful. They were, you know, I had to ask them like three and four times. They knew how sick I was. And at family meeting, I was like, guys, you kind of let me down on that. You know, I really was sick and I could have really used help. And I found myself asking for stuff four and five times. And sometimes it's my turn to be sick and down. And like, you got to step up and help more when it's my turn. And they were, you know, kind of upset and a little crushed by it. But I was like, eh, that's it. There are also times in family meeting where I'm like, I was yelling a lot this week. I've been very stressed out at work and I'm taking it on on you guys. I apologize. And there's a little bit of a time I find my husband and I try to do it on Sundays of like, what does the week look like? What do you want to do? What do you prioritize? And I'll say like, well, I'm teaching on Wednesday and I have this on Friday. I'm going to meet a friend for a drink this night. I'm going out three nights. Like, do you want to go out? We try to just talk about it in a calm time. And, you know, your parents are coming on Thursday. So that means by Tuesday, we need to start thinking about cleaning the house and getting it ready to go. That means like we better start on Sunday. 
it just is a calmer time to be like it's it allows us much more to be on the same side of the net the problem is our house is a huge wreck and your parents are coming and we can't let them know that we live like animals so let's just work together and fix the house you know yes this sort of structure around we I just was like we have to get this back in like a whiteboard like who is practice and who is this because it had fallen away we have to do it back to one because twice in the last 24 hours I've had a family member say what you didn't tell me that I'm like <laughs> we have definitely talked about it we also have phone calendars I have teenagers like it's in your calendar which I know you don't check because you think I run your life but we have talked and just you know apoplectic that I hadn't reminded them enough times that that was this Thursday whatever I have to do this stuff at, as you said, at as a calm time and it's a structure and it's also a container to put in. Like you said, your parents are coming and we all need to start thinking about that more than five minutes before they arrive. And it's a way of making it visible. If you don't want to nag about stuff, if you want to be on the same side of the like, this application for the summer job is due in three days to put that on the other side of the net with you and your kid instead of you against your kid about the application then you have to have a way of making that stuff visible besides you bringing it up verbally. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people don't like these metaphors, but I think that running a house kind of like a business makes a lot of sense. You know what I mean? Like the way that you and I operate our business is that we have a team of people who all kind of know their roles and jobs, but we circle up once a week and we're like, how's this going? Oh, I forgot all about it. This slipped through the cracks. Oh, this thing was due. Did you forget it? I sure did. Like, it's not about like, I am one person is sitting on the mountaintop, like looking, surveilling and being like, do this, do that. You forgot this. You know, it's letting people have the opportunity. And I think in a household of five, my kids are older, so they're a little bit more amenable to this. It's like, remember, this is your responsibility this week. And then you're kind of checking in at dinner time. Like, hey, remember, it's your job to load the dishwasher. Is that done? Hey, do you remember that tomorrow's garbage day? You're going to have to get up early and go get the cans. Rather than like everything that happens in the week is a surprise. And lives in your head, right? And the first time I'm thinking back to the person who wrote in, you know, you, who has a husband lying on the couch who doesn't want to do anything. The first time he is engaging with that Abby, I'm totally making this up, but Abby has gymnastics at, on Saturdays at 11 is when you're bringing it up, right? And I think that what might help is if introducing this family meeting is introducing a list of introducing the like, you want to relax on the weekends? So do I. I would love to, like, that's also important to me. I know it sometimes feels like that it's not, but it is. So let's look at these things that have to happen this weekend and really sit down together, engage with what fits in where, when's the time for you to relax, when's the time for me to go take a yoga class. And, you know, let's think about what we can do for dinner on Saturday. Okay, maybe it is pizza this week, so we can just relax. That relaxation is on the list too, but there's a list and it isn't living in your head and you're dragging him along. Like that can be addressed maybe by doing some of this sort of meeting stuff and making it visible instead of just auditory. Yeah, and I think... Putting as part of the story out loud also helps your partner sometimes of like, whereas I, especially when I had little kids, would often come into this conversation of like, watch golf. What kind of monster? Are you kidding me? Do you have any idea what it takes to run this house? I wish I had six hours to like start from the maybe the point of view of you and I want the weekend to look certain way. I know this is important to you. These are the things that I feel have to get done. Now, your partner may at some point be like, does this and this have to get done? Like, we'll have a conversation about it. But then it's like you're letting all the things onto the table and you're going to figure out how to make it work 
versus you always, you this, you that, I this. And it's like, how can we, as two people who want the best for each other, come at the problem together? I think you solved it. Easier said than done. I mean, it's solved, but just do that, guys. <laughs> yeah, just do that. You'll always be happy and you'll never fight like me and my husband. In fact, I have to go because we have some kissing to do right now. <laughs> yeah, it's not ideal. It's never perfect. But I do think same side of the net. We'll link to the Dr. Lynetta Willis episode because it speaks to so much of this stuff. And I think she had some really good solutions. Yeah, that's what it is. Don't let mom nagging be what everybody's aligned on the other side of the net against. Yeah, reset that. Get on the same side of the net and fight the problem. Love it. Thank you to our listener who wrote in with that excellent suggestion. And thank you to Diana, who says that you should consider the subscription What Fresh Hell Plus. You can check it out at whatfreshhell.supportingcast.fm. Thanks so much for supporting us there. And we will talk to you next week. So long. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep. Oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. 